G'day everyone and welcome to today's episode of the Digital Rookie Podcast. My name is Patrick Quay. In today's episode, I'm chatting with Mike Ridley, VP of Brand and Marketing at Inter Miami. Inter Miami are the newest club in North America's soccer league, the MLS. It's really interesting to hear about how Mike and his team approach developing the Inter Miami brand, adapting to the challenges of 2020 while also appealing to new fans and communities. If you find yourself enjoying today's episode, then make sure to write a short review on Apple Podcasts. I'd really appreciate the feedback. If you're interested in connecting with Mike or myself, then you can find links to our LinkedIn profiles in the description below. You can also find the link to the Digital Rookie page, and you can follow that for exclusive LinkedIn content. As always, I'd love to hear from any listeners, and likewise, Mike is a great connection to have for those aspiring to work in the sports industry. While you're connecting with us on LinkedIn, you should also jump on over to Instagram and follow my page at Digital Rookie Hub. There you can find all the graphics and promotional material I post while keeping up to date with new episodes and guests. So as always, would really appreciate the follow. So that's all from me for now. Enjoy my chat with Mike. Mike, thank you so much for joining me today on my podcast. And uh, yeah, it's been a really exciting time to get you on. So uh, thanks so much. No, no, pleasure. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. No worries at all. So, Mike, can you just tell us about how you got your foot in the sports industry and your journey to now becoming the VP of brand and marketing at Inter Miami? Yeah, well, you know, funnily enough, I sort of dotted around. I grew up in the Cayman Islands, uh, school in England uh, and then university in the States. But between that period, I took a year out and I worked at a, as an internship at a sports agency at the time. It was called SFX Sports. It then evolved into Clear Channel. It then broke up. Wasserman owned some of them. Um, and that was my first taste. But uh, I went to college and uh, I ended up working in the film industry, worked for a few directors, Universal Pictures. Um, and then from there, I sort of began to see the power of marketing and I uh, began to take an interest in it. So I went back to school, got a master's degree in marketing, and then went from, it was quite funny, I went from blockbuster movies to being an intern at an ad agency in Boulder called Crispin Porter and Bogusky, and uh, started working, um, then a place called Deutsche LA hired me, and I worked at an ad agency there for three years. Went to New York for a little bit in advertising, then came to Miami to work for an ad agency called La Comunidad, the community. And, um, you know, I always, basically what I saw happening was sports, music, entertainment, everything sort of merging into one experience. And, and um, you know, I, I've always loved football. I grew up playing it. I wish I was a footballer. I played for the Cayman Islands six times. And, ah, cool. you know, when Inter Miami was coming, you know, official, I'd had my eye on it for a long time. And I was very fortunate. It's a bit of luck is when preparation meets opportunity, you know, um, to get the job. And uh, so that's it's sort of winding road. Um, but you know, at one point it was all about film. So that was my focus and it was advertising. I was like, I really want to get back into sports. And so focused on that. And thankfully it took a while, but I got there in the end. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that you played for the Cayman Islands. That's awesome. <laughs> That's yeah, also yeah, such a yeah, random yeah. fact. Yeah, it is. It's funny. It's a funny one. Yeah. It's a um, relatively small country. So, um, <laughs> well, it's still a, a nice accomplishment. It's only like 50,000 people. So. I, I, you, I mean, to be in the best football team of a nation, no matter how the size is, a pretty good accomplishment, I reckon. Um, so that love for football, is that 
what has motivated you to pursue a career in sport? Obviously, like you, you started in, you know, a variety of different industries, but ultimately it was the goal to end up in sport. Yeah, and less so sport, it was football particularly, because okay. football, this was quite like it. Like football is a global connector and, you know, it crosses cultural boundaries. I could go to, you know, somewhere I don't speak the language or know anyone and have a football and I can probably play football. Do you know what mm. I mean? In fact, like when I moved to Miami, I barely knew, I knew one person and he invited me to play football and I met lots of people. Um, yeah. Football, when I moved to Los Angeles, I didn't know very many people and I rocked up to a pickup game and I met lots of friends through that. Football has been a connector for me. When I went to university, one of the reasons I came to States was to play football. Um, so for me, it's always been there. I have, you know, I collect jerseys. I have 372 jerseys, I think now. Um, it's always been a, a focal point in my life. Uh, and so to be able to work in it is awesome, you know. So what like excites you most about now, now that you've got that gig at Inter Miami, what excites you most about working in sport? I'm allowed to read football news all the time. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's... You know, it, look, the people I work with, they all love the game. I've never been at a place where people are so unified by what they're doing. Like, I can't, I don't know, maybe in banks, people are like, I love banking. And so they do. But everyone here loves football. Like, you can sit and talk and analyze and watch and debate. And, and it's, you know, look, working at any football club is amazing. Then to be launching a football club is probably even the icing on the yeah. cake. So, because we're building something. I mean, there's lots of, challenges and this year has been particularly challenging for everybody obviously but um yeah i get up i I read the news and i'm just excited it's sort of like there's a weird sort of butterfly excitement like you know you get when you're younger and every day is like that and so you know today i happen to be uh, at uh, the performance facility and it's incredible i look out my window at this state-of-the-art facility that's you know just amazing and just walking around it i'm constantly like in awe Um, yeah you know and also as an extension of that the people i'm talking to and having calls with externally are all into football too so it's everybody is united the only other experience i can say it's anything like it was i joined a great white shark research boat in Hansby in south africa and there's a tiny fishing village but everyone's only there for the love of the sharks and it's the other time i've really found this unifying like totally everybody has one focus and that's yeah. lights me okay interesting i think i mean from my small experience in sport I think one of the best things about it is that everyone loves sport and you can connect really easily with people because it's like we all <laughs> like talking about the exact same things. Um, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, that's exact, exactly. So, you know, we can debate about the transfer rumors or we can debate yeah. about last night's game away, coming up game. There's always something to debate. So you're right. Absolutely. But yeah. very, I mean, other people, talk about other sports but in here the football is the is the bible so to speak well yeah 100 percent. and um you mentioned there about inter miami being a new club and that's obviously one of the things that i want to talk about today so um in your role as as brand and vp of brand and marketing obviously the fans are a big part of any football club but being new to the league obviously that's something that is quite malleable and and fresh you know it's a it's you don't have a history of loyal fans and you have to develop a new fan base. Um, can you talk about the Inter Miami fans and how you shape what you do around them specifically? Yeah. So, I mean, look, we're a fan first club, everything, you know, it was our fans freedom to dream was what got us to having a club and ownership has always said that they're fan first. 
um, and we look at everything through that lens and they're critical you know we have great supporters not just domestically but we have a large following internationally already which is encouraging um, but you know if you even take like the whole positioning and the campaign launch of the club was based on the fans weight you know the idea that your football is here this is a fan club this is their game and we are just almost the custodians and the providers of it so mm. it always look through that and even when you know we had to pivot from your football is here to mls is back we changed it to your football is live because we you know it's it, it was their football and it's live it wasn't quite here yet you know and and when we get fans in the stands it's going to be fantastic because it will be here and you know i think um you know, everything's looked at through that lens, be it how the app was designed, um, even in the input in, you know, branding and elements like that, we really do listen to our fans a lot and get feedback from them. Um, and I always say, you know, ultimately, my job, is I'm a brand custodian, you know, uh, for them. Now, you know, it, that always makes it interesting. Everybody has an opinion on the club and the branding, whether you've done something right or wrong. What I will say from this side and from the people I work with, everything we are doing is with the best intentions you know it really is looked at for the best intentions and sometimes all the information that leads to a decision being made isn't necessarily known externally so and it can't always be that way so but uh yeah clubs they're the center of the club yeah uh, i think something interesting about into miami is the emphasis on like the hispanic uh demographic of the area how much does how much of the club's brand identity is being based around the demographics of Miami and and uh, is the emphasis on the Hispanic demographics also a strategy to appeal to Hispanic fans, you know, internationally? Well, I think it's in our name, Club Internacional de Football. You know, mm. we're the only club in a soccer league. Uh, you know, there are other FCs, but the only one with the Spanish name. And I think it's Look, Miami is a multicultural city, and I think that's what we're looking at. And when I didn't develop the brand identity, I, I wasn't here yet. But sure. they definitely looked and were inspired by the fans and inspired by South Florida particularly. And there's an element of Latin, Caribbean, America. There's lots of things. It's a cultural melting pot. And I think that's what attracts people to the city of Miami, to South Florida, and, and ultimately the club. Uh, and we're a reflection of the market. And, um, you know, it also helps that we get to use the color pink because everybody loves a little pink. But there's no denying that the Hispanic consumer is an important consumer. Actually, any corporation in the U.S. should be looking at as a very important consumer because they are driving elements of the economy. Um, and there's mm. going to be a lot of growth there. Uh, so do we, you know, I think we would say we take a culture out approach where we're trying to be culturally relevant is what we're doing rather than specifically saying, Hey, we are targeting this demographic or this demographic. And I think that's reflected in some of the stuff we've done with the, um, uh, you know, such as teaming up with David Getter on United at home. We were the first team to do that. Or even when we socially distanced our logo to reflect, you know, with the heron separating, that was a cultural moment we wanted to be part of. We were, you know, uh, the first team to team up with Twitch for StreamAid to, to raise money. So what we're trying to do is be part of culture. And the Hispanic population in the U.S. and around the world is very much driving and part of culture. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, I think it's really cool. And a big part of football is culture. And you see that all around the yeah. world. So for Inter Miami to be a big part of that is is really important. You did mention colors there. And I know one of the major parts of your role is overseeing the design of the Inter Miami jersey. So there's undoubtedly like a lot involved in this process and 
that's something that most people, including myself, don't really know a lot about. Can you provide an insight into yeah what goes into the process of designing and, and managing a, a jersey? Yeah. So the current jerseys, I didn't, that was before my time, but, you know, uh, it is, so, you know, they did a great job, uh, very pleased with them. Obviously, they've sold very well and people like them, but, you know, in their other jerseys, I mean, there is a process. You, you write a brief, you know, of what, what, what is your kind of inspiration for the jersey. So you write the brief, um, you know, I get buy-in from our ownership, talk it through uh, with our, you know, also we've got our team here, a lot of smart people uh, in terms of design, et cetera, kit men who know exactly what to look for in a jersey. So it's a holistic effort. Um, and then you get this brief and you share it with the league and you get their input and then you brief Adidas and the Adidas design team who are brilliant come up with interpret your brief and they bring elements of it because they're the experts in actual jersey design. So okay. you, know, you kind of, it goes away and it comes back with these comps and you have a, a review period and then you go into um, elements of you get samples, a couple of samples along the way. So it's a long meandering experience. Um, and, you know, we, try to make sure the jersey is the hero of what we're doing because ultimately it is the fans representation so mm. it's a very exciting experience um you know it's an interesting one to navigate just as you you because you have to give and take as with anything when you're you know it's one thing having a creative vision but as you then get into the production elements there are some bits you can't do and it comes almost like it's a bit like buying a house in a way because when you have a house you have a list of everything you want and then what you buy probably doesn't quite have everything you want because there are sure. elements you have for these elements. So it's, it's a lot at that. And, you know, you, you take, we have a very clear vision of what we would want for, as a brand. MLS has experience on what's worked and what's not in the past. And Adidas has a point of view. And, you, you, you know, it's interesting, these kind of different point of views all mold into what is the output. Um, and it, it's a long experience because with production timelines and stuff, you, you're planning two years ahead. So there is a bit of trends, culture spotting you're trying mm. to do. And, you know, we also looked at what our fans want and what they've said they liked and didn't like. And that went into the brief, too. So it's um, it all starts with seeing what's worked, learning from it, kind of culture spotting, guessing what you think people are going to like, listening to our fans, looking at the cultural insights and the data insights to then develop the brief and then figure out the story. So it's a multi-layered process. It's not a question. I see a lot of concept kits online where people send them and they're awesome, but um, you know, it's, it's getting a kit to life in the various stages you have to go through. It's, 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 there are so many things in consideration that I didn't even appreciate it before going through it. And I love jerseys. Right, yeah, that's interesting. Can you talk a bit to the balancing of like the different influences because there's so many stakeholders involved in designing a jersey you know you have ownership you mentioned the fans input uh you know dealing with partnerships and sponsorships and then obviously the mls and um and yeah can you talk to how you deal with all of them and what how that impacts your, your the design in the end yeah i mean look, at the end of it you know we have a very clear vision we work with the adidas design team and we get to the place we want to get to okay. um, the MLS is a wonderful resourcing guide and the Adidas are the experts, you know, because they know more about the fabrics and what's being, what will work. And they're, they're the ones that are constantly pushing the boundary on fabrics and the technology and the actual production of the Jersey. They also have some very, very talented designers. So you, you listen to their expertise right. too. 
but ultimately you know we also want to do what we feel is in the is the best for the club and so usually you come to an accord uh, and everybody's on the same page by the end I, I haven't I'm sure there are times it gets sticky but uh, I'm more you know I give my opinion and I have a perspective but what my perspective and goal was was what was in the brief now where we are is some is pretty close to what we you know what was written in that brief it now becomes more about elements of what people would like to see on the jerseys and that's you know very much subjective to that person so ownership sure. may want to do a certain element okay or adidas may say they want but we tend to it comes to me and i talk it out with both parties um and you know i lean on the league for guidance too and um it's it's really fun it's very very fun it's just um you know, it's sort of crazy. Just unless you're in it, you don't realize how much thought and how many things are taken into consideration when building a jersey. Creating. Yeah, yeah. Especially if you're working, like you said, like two years or so ahead of time. Yeah. I'm sure. I mean, there's a whole bunch of different cultural and trends and and techno- jersey technology that will have inevitably impact a design within two years. So I'm sure even up to like the last summer before the season starts it's it's changing yeah yeah and you you brief jerseys and you see other jerseys come out because there are different timelines you're like oh mm. oh yeah okay. <laughs> you know it's, it's fun it's fun i love jerseys so i'm always watching it so they're a great moment for the club yeah it, it is really cool and as a jersey lover myself i i mean i don't know 374 but <laughs> but it sounds like a really cool thing to do um and the yeah, inter miami yeah. jersey is great uh, I really like it. Well, I'll um, let the people know who designed these ones know. <laughs> I can't take credit for them. <laughs> Mike, so soccer in the US, is, I think, is quite an interesting... It's an interesting sport because it's in a unique position. It's really big globally. I mean, talk about Cayman Islands and the UK mm-hmm. and then the US, and it's a growing sport here in Australia as well. I want to ask you your opinion on how you think the MLS can continue to set itself apart, not only from other major sports in the US, like basketball, American football, but potentially grow to be considered one of the major leagues globally? So I think, look, you know, the MLS is growing. There's no denying it. Players, there's more commercialization. It's definitely growing. But I think, look what happened in COVID. The first American sports league back was MLS. Mm. And they set the standard for safety and you know, they pushed the boundaries of the virtual, including virtual into it, actually into the game experience. So that certainly helped. And look, at the end of it, you know, youth football, soccer, as they call it here, is such an important part of just life in the US that it's only inevitably going to continue to grow. And you see some of the US players going abroad um, and really making names for themselves, uh, not just US, but CONCACAF in general. It's just going to continue to grow. And um, there's also an attraction, a lot of players you know, are coming here. Some are still coming later in their career, but you're seeing younger and younger, some great players coming. And you're seeing that actually um, people are looking at the MLS as a, as a great path to going to the bigger stage, you know? Uh, so I think it's going to continue to grow. And remember, like, it all seems now that everybody's very global. But I remember when I was living in LA and Chelsea, it was one of their first visits, was only in 2006. It's not mm, that long ago since it's true. ICC tournament started to happen and that, you know, these kind of, People used to go to Asia a bit, but these tours to America and stuff. So, you know, the the globalization of MLS will continue to happen, I'm sure. Um, and, you know, look, all the numbers and the data shows it's growing. So I think it will continue to grow. Now, it, to get 
any league to get to the standard of the top leagues in Europe, any sport would take some time. But look at, you know, it's the same thing as basketball. Basketball is growing in Europe and other places in the world. But the NBA is still the pinnacle, right? So yeah. Europe is still the pinnacle, but lots of leagues are becoming more and more competitive and more attractive and there's more investment in the sport. And um, ultimately the MLS will, you know, I, uh, having spoken and spend time with people who work at the league, they're very committed and very ambitious and, you know, I'm sure they'll get there. And into Miami is equally ambitious with what we want to achieve. And, um, you know, we are doing everything we can to get there. And, and you know, at the end of it, it you just need time. And time yeah. will be what gets us there. Now, um, you know, uh, there's people, because of the technology, I think people expect success very quickly. But they ultimately think success comes with time. Yeah. I mean, I, you can even speak to the fact that America and North America has been able to... Um, been able to get the right you know be able to host host the world cup and yeah. um yeah 2026 will be a good one between mexico canada but you forget like canada held the women's world cup and it was fantastic hmm. you know and so that's the other thing you have to think like where the rest of the world is expanding the women's game the u.s and canada and you know this side of the world has been very have been pioneers with the women's game yeah There's so much that it's a it's a reversal of learnings you know um yeah and the, the women's american yeah, it is. But also women's soccer in the States is fantastic. It's great. I think, you know, at college level, uh, everything. I mean, I, I kick around with some of the D1 players from college here and they're way better than me. You know what I mean? And that's not it. They are. Women's soccer is an example. The women's soccer here is an example to everybody else in the world. You know, and I think we, we at the league and, and the clubs can all learn from them. Yeah, I think it's super exciting because I think the next women's world cup or 2023 i think it is is in australia um yeah, so yeah, that's I a huge opportunity that. for the sport to grow here as well um so yeah it, it should be cool yeah it'll be a great a great experience um yeah and you guys i'm sure will put on a great tournament yeah i think even um i saw in the news the the uh, how the u.s is supposed to host um champions league games and i mean I, it doesn't. I, I mean, I read those things. I, I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure, you know, like La Liga was pushing to do games over here. What I will say is that when, you know, Real Madrid and Barcelona played here, it sold out. You know, when the ICC games do come across, they sell out. So, you know, in the NFL, when they go to London, they sell out. So mm. uh, people have a thirst and a desire for sports and a collective experience. And I think coming out of COVID, if we do, and I hope we do, obviously, there'll be the... Th the, the desire for it will be even more. Yeah. I mean, even here, Liverpool came here a few years ago and I think we had a sellout crowd of like a hundred thousand people. Um, oh, sure. Yeah. Which you don't even get the opportunity to in the stadiums in, in most UK, like in the whole of the UK. So, um, oh, exactly. so financially it makes sense for, for clubs to invest in these international trips. Um, and they will be, but back to into Miami more specifically, sorry, a bit of a tangent there, but, um, no, no. I'd, I'd, I'd be interested to hear, in your opinion, what Inter Miami are doing specifically to grow the MLS branding and promote soccer in the US. Well, I think the thing is, is, you know, before we had a club, we had an academy. You know, the academy was the first thing that rolled out. And the academy is critical. And, you know, and that, I mean, that's a commitment right there to roll out an academy, developing players. Um, and it's very important to ownership, you know. And so that's, I think... That says it all, really. Uh, what are we doing to promote soccer? You know, we are, 
like everybody invested in the game, the youth, because ultimately they're, you know, you we would, nothing would make us prouder as a club than someone who's come up through the academy up to USL and then to play in the first team. That yeah. probably, you could ask everybody, would, might be their crowning achievement, that first player that does it. So we're deeply committed. They have, you know, uh, an incredible academy coaching setup and staff here. And, uh, you know, I think that, that underscores what we're trying to do completely. Um, and, you know, the youth, the younger generations that play, um, there's already, you know, it seems to be one of the most popular sports and it's very competitive to get into the academies. So the, the, the demand is there and, you know, we are, well, the academy team are really focused on developing some wonderful talent and that, that, that in itself is all the club needs to do and we'll continue to do it. Yeah, I think academies are interesting interesting in soccer because you end up having clubs that are renowned for being good at growing players and then eventually selling them on to the big European teams and whatnot. Um, yeah, so, yeah, well, yeah, I mean, well, Ajax is a yeah. great example. I think if we could have an Ajax academy, we would love it, you know. Yeah. Uh, Peterborough United, I think one of the lower teams. Arsenal, the club I support, is a great academy product and... Um, you also want to, you know, you want to be you know, committed to giving the academy products a chance because mm. then the best talent will come there. Yeah. Um, one last thing that I wanted to talk to you about is yeah. the signing. You, we mentioned it a little bit before um, about players coming to the MLS and how that's growing the brand uh, of the sport in America. Um, someone like Blaise Matuidi, who's a French international soccer player for those listening. Um, and he's recently signed with Inter Miami. What does that mean, not only to the club, but the league? And how does that impact branding? Yeah, well, I mean, Blaise is also, I believe, you know, the only World Cup winner now to be playing. There have been other World Cup winners that have played in the MLS, but I believe he's the only current player. I mean, Blaise is a very accomplished, incredible talent and can only help the league. You know mm. what I mean? Not only is he a name that has won everything in the game, he's a phenomenal player that will just lift the team. Um, you know, and it just, it, it underscores the ownership's commitment to building a team that is, you know, can compete. Um, and, you know, our ownership and our sporting director team are very, very careful who they're looking at. And Blaze is the complete package. And I think, um, you know, I've, I've seen him play a couple of times. His class is evident, but it can only help. It only helps to have that sort of standard of player because they make everybody better and, they, and you can learn from them. And, uh, you know, he brings a huge kind of, cultural dynamic with him and so it's really exciting there's there's nothing out nothing but positives that come from that and you know his jersey sales will obviously go up and that mm. helps all the other aspects of it and the sponsorship and stuff but at the end of it football is first football and fans first the fans love to see someone like that come and football can only benefit from a player like blaze between yeah yeah of course um i think even with it's interesting with social media and the ability for players, individual players to have their own brand now, how much, how much does that go into the valuation of a player that you're bringing in on transfer? Um, that like their ability to bring new fans and, and more interest from around the world. So I, I don't, I, you know, I'm very focused on the brand of the, the club, not, I, I don't know, actually. I don't imagine. And we're football first, so the football's cheap. Sure. There are other elements that come along. Fantastic. But, you know, um, you know, as a club, I, I don't, I'm not involved in the transfers. Uh, so 
I'm not entirely sure, but I, I, what I will say is I know that we are a football first club and focused on that. So that's what will drive the decisions. I don't think we would buy someone just because of the commercial ability of them. If they weren't a good sure, player, okay. you have to there are added benefits. But um, so I'm, I don't think that really goes into it much personally. Yeah. Okay. It's interesting because I think, I think if you look to football, there are a lot of you know, when, when players get to the, the older stage of the end of their career and they, yeah. they end up like they end up in leagues like the MLS and sometimes they come down to Australia as well. And a lot of, a lot about their transfer is to bring new fans and bring like a bit of a spotlight on the league. Yeah. I'm sure it's to raise the profile. Yeah. yeah. But you know, it has to be a quality player to do it. So, um, you know, I, I'm just not involved enough in that. I tend to, when I hear we're signing a player, it's, you know, I then, how, how does he become part of the club story is what I focus on. Um, and, you know, yes, I can predict whose jersey is going to be, it's not a hard thing to predict whose jersey is yeah. going to be popular or not. And there are elements of that. But, um, yeah, you know, I'm, it's about, you know, elevating the game and, and Blaze elevates the game. And that's what's important. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think that's a really important and good message um mike thanks so much for joining me today and uh having a good old chat um i uh, really appreciate all your time and uh yeah thanks so much no worries my pleasure thank you i look forward to keeping in touch thank you for listening to the digital rookie podcast i hope you enjoyed my chat with mike a massive thanks again to mike for taking the time to have a chat with me and provide such a great insight into his role at into miami Like I mentioned at the start of the episode, if you want to connect with Mike or myself on LinkedIn, then head to the description below and you can find that links to our profile there. If you're finding my podcast interesting and you're enjoying the content, then I'd really appreciate it if you left a review on Apple Podcasts. It only takes a minute or so and really means a lot to hear from those listening. If you want to get involved with the podcast, send me a message and we can have a chat. I'm always on the lookout for guests and new networking opportunities. So stay tuned for some great episodes in the coming weeks and I'll catch you then. Cheers.